The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and to our listeners, welcome. We're back from FetishCon, and what an amazing adventure it was. Looking forward to sharing some of those stories with you, not only online, but here on the show. But we've got some great guests coming up in the upcoming weeks, and we will be sharing those new friends with you, as I said, in the upcoming weeks. We also have an official merch partner now as Kingster Merch on Etsy is the home of the What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want collection. It is a series of empowering t-shirts that are made especially for people who want to be seen as their authentic selves. We hope you'll check it out. Go over to Etsy and look for Kingster Merch. We'll appreciate it. Today we go across the pond. No, not that pond. We go all the way around the world to Melbourne, Australia for this week's guest. Somebody who has the most amazing style. And I'm happy to introduce her to the audience in America. Her name is Audrey Fatale. She's a classically trained professional and lifestyle dominatrix specializing in immersive bondage, S&M, and fetish scenes, including machine sex, medical play, and heavy rubber in Narm, just outside of Melbourne, Australia. She is the co-proprietor of Melbourne's premier private 1,600 square foot fully equipped BDSM studio, a contemporary elegant space, boasting some of the best gear and equipment from around the world, including Infettered, Studio Gum, Fetters, Serious Kit, et al as well as an expanding collection of custom-built furniture designed especially for her favorite kinky proclivities. She's a practitioner of traditional female domination with a sophisticated modern edge, mingling gravitas, seduction, and cruelty with effortless charm. While she always expects a baseline of deference and respect when engaging in play, her style is flexible and responsive to the full spectrum of players, from the dedicated slave to the curious sensation seeker. 
And while she's keenly interested in what makes you tick, ultimately, when you step into her domain, she is in control. Her approach is always collaborative and she encourages openness, honesty, and clear communication. She is a strong proponent of prick, which for those of you who don't know, is personal responsibility in form consensual kink. And her expectation of you is that you are self-reflexive enough to understand your own motivations and confident enough within yourself to hand yourself over and let her guide the way. What you will be met with in return is an intelligent, compassionate, and self-assured mistress, confident in both her power and expertise. What you won't get is a cookie-cutter experience, a media trope, a dress-up doll, or a projection of your preconceived fantasies. If you seek release through pain, comfort from control, or liberty via perversion, you've entered her world. Mistress Audrey Fatale on what women and other wonderful humans want. questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First time you ever realized that you might want to become a dominatrix. I think that my initial attraction to the role of dominatrix came through seeing it represented in film and the one that I always go back to when people ask me this question was a, a little indie a Canadian indie film called Love and Human Remains and I think off the top of my head it was released in the early 90s um, I was probably drawn to it because of the serial killer storyline and in it was a dominatrix, a character of a dominatrix. And I remember just being so attracted to her and the, you know, what she was doing in the film. It was quite dark and probably not a true representation of, you know, what we actually do. Um, but yes, at the time I was very, very drawn and attracted to that, that sort of um, archetype. So it was, yeah, it was really through the kind of visual medium, I think, of film and and photography that I was kind of like, oh, hello, what's all this about? First time that you looked at a image of yourself and said, wow, this is the me that I always thought I could be. Wow. Have I seen that image yet? I'm not sure. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I was quite late to being a pro, if we're talking in the context, obviously, of being a pro-dom, which we are, I was quite late to the um, late to the world of kink and professional kink. I started in my early 30s, so it, it took a while to come to that point. But, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty powerful kind of um, experience to, to kind of create this or, yeah, to express this you know, outward um, visualization of how you sort of want to be perceived by people. And yes, it was, um, you know, it was probably just through playing around at home, the early days of FetLife, 
uh, for example, and sort of going into the pro world and having to kind of create imagery to put out into the world. And um, it was very exciting, yeah, to see. I still don't know if I've quite nailed the um, ideal representation of Audrey in the context of being a pro-dom, but that's something to work on. We will talk about that in the next segment because I think you have done a remarkable job in building your brand and just the visualization that you give. So many different possibilities and imagination can go into each and every image. And I just, that's the first thing that caught my eye was, wow, this person jumps off the screen. Oh, wow. Thank you. I appreciate that. Do you remember your first kinky date? In a professional context. Or just discovering kink on your own? Well, this is interesting. I think because I went from vanilla to professional in the space of 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. I don't kind of have the backstory of a lot of pros who come through exploring, you know, in their private lives and playing in that context and then deciding it's something that they want to do in a professional setting. Uh, I think I'd always had the fantasies. I'd always been drawn to it, as I'd said before, but I'd never explored it. And I went from a long-term relationship, which ended, and within the months following that, I just became kind of possessed by the idea of becoming a professional dominatrix. So I literally went from the outside world into the doors of the dungeon, and my first experience was in the professional context. And um, I do remember the first scene that I was a part of, and because it was um in the like the context of a traineeship a traditional traineeship there was a lot of watching and learning going on and took a while before you'd start to to see clients one-on-one but I remember being taken into this room with an experienced mistress and a client and I just was a fly on the wall basically and to this day it is seared in my memory (laughs) and That was because the dominatrix was actually, well, let's say, well, I don't have to be coy here, do I? No. (laughs) She was was pegging the client and during the pegging, she, he was staring at me in intently. Like he was, you know, we just had this locked eye contact and I just, all I knew was like, don't drop the eye contact, just like maintain it because there's something that he's getting from, you know, locking eyes with me in this moment. So I I was kind of participating in the scene from that context. And, you know, it ended and and off we went. And two or three years later, this client came back to see me. And we talked about that session. And I said, you you know, you were looking at me, you were staring at me through that scene. And I said, I said, I almost felt like you were pleading with me for something. And I said, what was going on for you? And he's like, well, he said, oh, it was really hurting. Like he wasn't enjoying the session, which I found out subsequently that the pegging was too much for him. And, you know, there was something about him looking to me almost like, yeah, 
help me. <laughs> it was a very unusual experience. And I'm not saying that that happens a lot, but it just really stuck in my mind, you know, and, and I reflect back on it a lot. It was a real learning experience for me. Describe the first time you walked into your own dungeon, knowing that this was yours, that this was the place that you were going to call home and the place that you were going to make dreams come true. Well, I think that's only happened in the recent probably couple of years, actually, yeah, creating my own dungeon. So stepping outside of the um, the house, professional house setting, which I uh, most of my early career was spent in. And um, there's been a couple of iterations in the lead up to the current one, which was through the COVID lockdowns, which we had very strict and extended lockdowns in Melbourne. So I had a couple of spaces during that, which was which was great and they were fantastic and it was very exciting and they developed. But I've recently taken on um, the, the, the dream dungeon scenario. And it's just, it's to me, there's a so much of what I do is tied up in the energy of the space, the mood creating a kind of um, environment that's outside of, you know, the day-to-day kind of thing. So it's very important for me to practice in a space that helps kind of take people outside of the everyday and create an environment where um, you can sort of elicit these otherworldly experiences that you can't have in other places. So, you know, it's why I don't do things like domestic discipline or or session in, you know, hotel rooms and, and, and things like that. So for me to kind of move into the space, I really need to kind of create this entire atmosphere around me. So I've been able to do that with my colleague. We I share the space and, um, you know, it's a work in progress. We've only been there for six months. But every time I ascend the stairs and draw the curtains back and walk into the space, it's like this feeling of, you know, yes, this is it. This is what I've always wanted. And, yeah, it's an amazing feeling. First time you ever put on a latex rubber outfit and how did it make you feel? Mm. I was introduced to latex via a dear client of mine, which was quite late in my career. I had a sort of an, you know, the first five years or so, and then I had a hiatus of a few years, and then I I went back, which was about five years ago now. So it's been about 12 or 13 years. So it wasn't until my most recent kind of foray. And he actually came to me as a PVC fetishist. He loves PVC raincoats and, um, you know, PVC uh, boiler suits, et cetera, et cetera. And secondary to that was a bit of a rubber fetish. And we started seeing each other and I was just, um, yeah, really compelled by the idea of it. And I just hadn't gotten around to uh, buying any, wearing any before because, you know, in Australia it's, everything it's difficult to kind of access a lot of stuff it's 
you know, everything's overseas, you can't try anything on, takes forever to come, it's really expensive, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't sort of have access in the same way that I think European and American people have to these kind of things. So he said, mistress, can I buy you some rubber? Yeah, okay, why not? Um, and the first thing was a, a cat suit. And I mean, I think you might be able to relate to this, but it's just this kind of transformative experience. It's it's like a second skin. It kind of changes the way your body looks. It changes the way your body feels. It kind of creates, you know, it, it inspires you to kind of move in different ways. And it was just a moment, you know, of aha, I get what this is all about. I mean, look, we can't deny that, you know, it is visually appealing. Uh, most people look good in latex. It does something for, you know, <laughs> it does something to us, but it's well beyond that, I think. I mean, for example, I really actually am drawn to the sort of um, less form-fitting, less polished kind of aesthetic. I kind of like the, um, you know, the more vintage English, um, you know, unpolished, slightly loose-fitting kind of stuff. I don't know what that's about. Maybe they were just sort of images I saw in my formative years that appealed to me. They're, I guess they seem a little bit more bizarre and fetishistic, I suppose, than the sort of more fashion-orientated latex that we see a lot of manufacturers kind of producing now. So, yes, I like that as well, but there's something about the feel and the smell and the suggestion of what might come when you kind of put the rubber on. And we will be talking about Mistress Audrey Fatale's proclivity for heavy rubber a little later, as well mm. as talk about her style. And that's what we will be discussing when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think. 
and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at WWWPodcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program. Join from Melbourne, Australia, with Mistress Audrey Fatal. The first time I saw a picture of you, it was a picture of you in a beautiful latex catsuit looking in a mirror that was on the floor and you were lying on top of it. What were you thinking while you were looking in the mirror? That was um, one of my favorite shots um, thus far. And it was actually just a moment. Uh, it was just an off the cuff moment with the photographer as we were getting towards the end of the shoot. And all of a sudden she said, hey, let's put this um, mirror down on the ground and why don't you get on top of it? Uh, to which I did. And we created this, this wonderful photo. And I remember in, I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously very aesthetically pleasing. It's all about kind of reflection and shine and the black and the gold and everything just worked together. But I mean, probably more so what I think about when I look at it now, rather than perhaps what I was thinking as it was being shot, because I was probably trying to hold myself in some ridiculous pose. But um, it, to me, it's just, I love how it kind of, well, reflects <laughs> the idea of this, um, you know, the dominatrix being, I want to say, I'm going to say self-centered, but that's not really quite the word I'm wanting to use, but it's kind of this thing of like um, recognizing my power, recognizing that I'm, you know, the focus, you know, recognizing that I'm, you know, the, um, you know, the, the kind of the creator and the destroyer, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, you know, that when the submissive, looks at the sort of imagery I like the fact that I'm kind of yeah reflecting back to myself the power that I kind of embody in that moment yeah I like the fact that I'm looking at myself looking back at myself and seeing the power that I represent and kind of being comfortable with that how do you see yourself well this is an interesting thing and because the last few years have seen a bit of a change in that regard and it's not necessarily one that I feel like I've worked through at the moment and that's partly because well I guess everything we've been through with COVID the last few years you know it's created a lot of change for people and as someone who was not able to work for the majority of two years and was locked inside our house 
you know, there were a lot of things that changed for me um, physically. I think a lot of us have to, are still kind of dealing with the ramifications of, you know, COVID weight gain and, and whatever. And also adding on to that, you know, I'm in my late 40s now and things are kind of changing. And it's a really interesting time for me where I'm kind of, yeah, the, it, I'm evolving into, you know, I'm evolving out of that sort of more youthful, you know, sexy kind of thing and becoming something else. I'm not exactly sure what that is. So I feel like I'm a little bit in flux at the moment with how I see myself as a dominatrix and how I move into that in a way that kind of feels comfortable for me becoming slightly older in the profession as well. Becoming less focused on being sexually appealing, if that makes sense, instead of sort of trying to attract clientele based on the way that I look and more about the way, you know, what it is that I do and what it is that I can offer. So yeah, that feeling of how I perceive myself. Yeah. It's, it's in flux at the moment. If a sub meaning myself could be so bold, may I give you the camera view, which is how oh. I see you. Please. I don't need a youthful look. I need someone who can show me power, show me elegance, show me class, and you emulate every bit of that. I don't know what you were like when you were youthful, but what you are now creates an ambiance of absolute connection of somebody that I can understand, can guide me to where I've always dreamed of going. And every picture that you sent me has this amazing attraction in the fact that I can feel the energy coming out of those pictures, especially the one when you were in the almost flesh color or yellow cat suit where I literally felt energy coming out of the cat suit that wanted to envelop me and bring me in. Now, that's a totally romantic way of looking at it, but I romanticize the images of people not in the sexual context, but in the what are they thinking right now context. Mm. And it makes it so beautiful. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, that's, I really appreciate you saying that because that would be exactly the way what I would try, you know, what I'm kind of going for, I suppose. The type of clients that I want to attract to me, I want them to be coming from, from that position. You know, what, you know, what is it about this person specifically that is going to help me to, you know, or be able to help facilitate what it is that I'm looking for. And the other stuff is less important. I mean, we all want, you know, we all enjoy, um, I enjoy looking attractive. I enjoy people finding me attractive. Um, it's just a matter of you kind of recontextualizing what, you know, what that means in a sea of media that suggests you should be another way. Um, 
which is just becoming more and more sort of prevalent and we have to kind of work out ways that you know work out how we can exist within that and still feel good about ourselves so yeah but thank you for your reflections and i'm going to give one reflection even though our audience is not seeing you as i'm seeing you you're in a hoodie it doesn't look like you have much makeup on and you are just as classy and just as powerful without it as you are with it oh thank you and i'm not sitting here just trying to make you feel good it's just an, <laughs> an honest well, you are well, <laughs> you are making me feel good <laughs> it is an honest feeling so it brings me to one of the major things that i wanted to talk to you about which is on your website you have a section called philosophy and in it, you beautifully articulate what it is that is your approach. And I'm going to read it verbatim here. My approach to BDSM is rooted in the psychological meaning for the most part. I'm interested in what's going on in your head more than what's going on in your pants. While sexual arousal is almost always present in my scenes, and fully exploited to achieve my goals, I'm primarily focused on creating a holistic experience in which you will experience the full gamut of feelings and sensations, fear and ecstasy, pleasure and pain. Put simply, I'm not a tie and tease mistress. Reading that, I can only imagine the total experience of what it's like to go on the journey with you. When you have a client that comes in, where do you start mapping out that journey? Mm. Well, I start mapping it out long before they walk through the door. I, I've been in this industry long enough and to have worked out what works for me and the, the process that allows me to kind of bring my best to the scene. And I learned very quickly that three minutes in an intro room in a professional dungeon does not make for a scene that is um, that is satisfying to me and most likely not that satisfying to the client. So um, it starts off with people only being able to approach me via the application form on my website, which says you must read all of this first. And submit via that process once we kind of engage in that way um and I get a sense yes first you know I'm making assumptions we have to make assumptions um about what you know the person on the other side of the computer screen but let's say they just give me enough that I think that there's someone we might be able to work on something with you know they will then get an eight page form from me once I've said, I'm willing to see you for a session, um, I need to gather some information in the process. So, yes, I have an intake form which kind of asks them, you know, anything from sort of, you know, medical issues, previous experiences, how they want to feel, are they claustrophobic, you know, um, what sort of activities are you interested in doing. And I try and glean as much as I can before I've even met them. And then obviously that gives me a lot of stuff to work on in terms of setting up the um, the scene itself. So I have a I generally have a two hour minimum as well 
for sessions, unless it's just a, a corporal punishment, like a impact client, sort of just a masochist short and sweet. Love that too. But for anything else, I mean, really, you know, you, you can't be messing around with, you know, try, trying to do this stuff in a, in a short period of time. So I want to kind of, yeah, have the the space to ebb and flow to move organically through the scene to spend some time easing into it and also at the end to come out of it and that's all part of the experience for me so yeah I hope the experience starts from the time the client gets the first email from me through to after the session when we kind of reconnect so it's a whole you know it's a whole experience I love the fact that you do have a two-hour minimum. Mm. And it's not from the transactional side. It is from the experience side. Because the most beautiful space you can be in is one when time just goes away. Mm. And if you're there for a one-hour session, the clock is always ticking in your head. Mm, absolutely no, no matter how much you want to get into subspace the clock is ticking in your head just like when yeah. i go to a public play space and they say please don't use the equipment for more than 45 minutes the clock is ticking in my head mm, mm, mm. when i got to experience a longer session when i didn't worry about what the end time was i was able to totally let go Mm. And I can also imagine that anybody co that comes for an experience, they need to give themselves that gift of letting go. Mm. Leave your preconceived notions and expectations at the door and let you guide them. Mm. Yes, absolutely. It's, um, it's a different way to experience a professional scene and it's something that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around I think because it's just not what they're used to they're used to going in and out in a house context it's a revolving door they know the clock's ticking and they probably get something out of it and they go away and think oh that was fun so I'm going to go back and do it again but yeah trying to sort of um <laughs> yeah it's not for everyone the experience that I offer nor do I want it to be for everyone but at the same time I do I wish I could, um, you know, give that experience to people to show that it's it can be so much better. You know, it's kind of along the lines of seeing someone regularly, like as you develop the relationship, the play gets so much better. And a lot of people have that, like you said, the transactional kind of viewpoint of seeing a pro dom is very much oh, i'll see this one for an hour i'll see the next time i'll see that one for an hour and next time i'll see that one for an hour and then they wonder why they're perpetually unsatisfied by the experience and so i think sometimes i've kind of described myself as a lifestyle dominatrix that charges for my time mm. because ideally that's kind of what that's kind of what i'm aiming for when i meet a new person I want to develop a relationship with them and I want to go on a journey with them, which is, you know, and, and that requires a connection, a, a real connection. Yes, they have to pay for it, <laughs> but um, that's part of my kink too. I love being paid to do these things. 
Um, but yeah, but to me, the ideal scenario is we get to spend hours and hours and hours and hours together over a period of time. So we get to that point where the other stuff falls away. I like to call it the world that exists when the rest of the world goes away and we're in it. Mm. Yes, that is, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, outside of time and space. Yeah. You practice in two of your core kinks, two things that I totally understand and want to experience. One I haven't had the chance to do, which is heavy rubber, although I have been in a heavy rubber uh, cat suit and, and body bag, but it it hasn't been one of those otherworldly experiences that you <laughs> look at magazines and you look at videos and you're like, how does anybody even have all that? Yeah. yeah. But the other part is immersive bondage. There is a certain safety that I feel the more somebody binds me. Mm -hmm. It's the freedom of being bound. Mm -hmm. And when you apply immersive bondage, and I'm going to let you describe what you see as immersive bondage. When you apply that to someone, where are you wanting to take them? Well, that can be different um, for different clients mm -hmm. and or for myself on the day, depending on whether it's someone I play with a lot and I'm, I have, you know, control of what's going to happen in the scene versus maybe someone else in which we're just getting to know each other and I'm a little bit more directed by their, you know, what they're interested in, mm -hmm. in exploring and, um there's kind of two ways that I would approach immersive bondage. And, you know, when I say immersive bondage, really, it I, I'm I really just sort of um, sort of connect. That's really just connecting to the idea that it's an extended period of time, that the focus is on the bondage. It's not a short scene in which I might just be putting some cuffs on you while I strap you down to a table and, you know, use my electrics on you. That's not immersive bondage. But for me, it's when the main, the core component of the session is the bondage and we're anticipating being in it for an extended period of time. It might be something as simple as being in a sleep sack with a hood. It's nothing complicated. It could be more a ritualistic mummification. It could be kind of applying layers of bondage or a suspension bondage, slowly building piece by piece um, on, onto that. But yeah, my approach is kind of generally either we're taking you down a path in which you um, ideally might float away to be um, to be soothed by the bondage in the way that you've kind of described it, that it's actually a, a pleasant, relaxing, mindful experience. So, you know, that's one way to approach it. And I, I love that. And then the other right way to approach it is to kind of um, help induce fear states. So we're kind of, yeah, a little bit more focused on getting you so tightly bound that what comes next is going to elicit, you know, it's going to heighten the experience because basically you can't get away from me. So just as much <laughs> fun, but slightly different ways to approach it. 
Amanda Wildfire, who is a legendary uh, pro dom here in the in the states, uh, treated me to I think what I would call an immersive bondage experience, where she put me in a latex sarcophagus. Right. If you've ever yeah, seen one. one. Mm -hmm. And the more it got blown up around me, the more I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going anywhere. And she said, no, you're not. <laughs> and she has these locks that are custom made for her that say no escape on the side of them. Oh, wow. And she always shows just to that, drill at home. <laughs> yes, and then the click happens, and you're like, oh, "Okay, yeah, yeah I know." Mm -hmm. mm. And then yeah. you just fall. You yeah. fall into that beautiful space. But the other side of me loves that damsel part too, <laughs> where mm. the fear comes in. Do you have a yeah. favorite story of something that just made you feel all giddy when you did it? Oh, I get pretty giddy on a regular basis in the gun in the dungeon um, when I'm doing those type of sessions. I think that you know it's the moment when you realize that the emotion that the sub is experiencing is authentic, you know, versus a performed response, which can happen. Mm -hmm. Um less and less nowadays I think with the type of people I play play with but when you realize in that moment is that this is a genuine expression of what they're experiencing and and everything else is kind of you know all of the uh, um what how would you say like the you know the social mores that we carry around with us that kind of dictate how we act and behave how we show and express emotion when that kind of drops away, they're the moments that I'm kind of that just, you know, really get me in in the context of the play session. It's like, oh, yeah, this is real. Like this is real. And that's what I love saying in those moments, you know, like leaning down and whispering in their ear and saying, this is really happening. You know, this is really happening. And I love that. That's the moment. See, now I'm just getting on like, oh. <laughs> You see yeah. the smile on my face right now. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, you know, yes. That's it. it. Just... That's that's what we're going for. Um, and it's funny because I I think something I really love about the bondage as well, there's something that I am looking to tap into when I'm doing the thing to the person. And I haven't quite made sense of this yet. But I try and imagine myself in the position that the sub is in. And whilst I obviously think that we as tops should try and experience as much as, you know, what the bottom is experiencing so we understand how it feels and whatnot, there is a point with I'm actually claustrophobic. Hmm. So the things that I do to a lot of my clients I could not have done to me. And yet they appeal greatly to me. And I think that's because, you know, it's that fear. It's like I am so drawn to this, but I'm also afraid of it because I'm afraid of what that would, you know, what that might unleash within me if I was to be able to, to go to that place. The, you know, maybe the panic, the fear, the release, the emotional kind of catharsis, whatever it is. 
there's something in that that I aspire to. So when I'm doing that with my submissive, like the feelings come up within me as well, because I'm kind of putting myself in, in that position as well. And it's why I also have so much respect and admiration for what the submissive goes through and that they're able to do it that I just think, Oh, wow. You know, that's amazing. And you also have empathy because it scares you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I love the fact that that is a part of your drive. I know that like the first time I tried a vac bed where my face was covered, I needed someone to have their hand on me the entire time. Otherwise, mm. I couldn't have made it through that. I remember my birthday scene when I was hit 60 times by multiple implements, not 60 with a bunch, but 60 with each implement. Oh, right. And wanting to give up, but having the presence of someone who is inflicting that mm. get me through it when I was totally mm. ready to give up every single time. Yes. I actually take that scene and talk about it in my kindness and other kinks class, which I am able to teach over this beautiful country of ours, which I've been very blessed to be able to do. Because... True domination is actually the most beautiful kindness you can give, even though it hurts. Mm. Absolutely. That is very much my, yeah, my feeling about it as well. In those moments, I am so supportive and present with my clients, whether that's through touch or my voice and encouraging, you know, because I want to take them as deep as I can take them. And for me, um, that is a much more powerful way to approach that you get so much, I think, more out of people from being kind and supportive than you do being, you know, I mean, look, maybe it's just my style. I don't kind of tap into the, to the nasty kind of, um, you know, the nasty sort of, I've just lost my words. You know, Diabolical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the kind of like barking orders, you mm -hmm. know, humiliating people, you know, uh, you know, just forcing people, for, you know, forcing in, mm -hmm. in inverted commas people to do things. It's It just, it doesn't work for me. And I don't think it would uh, elicit the type of experiences that I'm trying to create with people. I've actually found the softest voice to be the most powerful mm. because there's a certain meter and a certain tone and a certain focus that you have to have to listen. Because if somebody's talking softly and telling you the predicament or the situation that you're in, you have to focus to hear it. Mm. And that makes it even more intense for me. Yes. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's an interesting uh, reflection. I think from my perspective as well, it also 
reflects a level of control, like from my experience, that if I'm shouting and yelling and carrying on, that was also, it, it almost sort of represents a loss of control. This is just my perception of it, mm-hmm. of course. You know, it's all valid and we all do things differently. People obviously respond to different things. Um, But for me, the quieter and more measured I am in a session, the more, yes, the the stronger the sort of element of kind of control is. You talk about intensity in your philosophy. While I tend to lean to more intense styles of play, that doesn't mean the activities there within can't be catered to all experience levels. When you are able to, as the old movie said, turn it up to 11 Mm. to be able to be that intense with somebody. What does it do to your psyche? Well, that's, it's an interesting place to go to and I think it's the one in which we need to be most careful of as professionals because I often describe it or I've explained it. It's sort of that moment in which you let go of constraints and that can be a tricky place to be because you have to obviously maintain um you know, you have to maintain safety, control, you have to remember what the you know, client's limits are. And there is a moment where you can, when an intensity does kind of build up, where you can kind of tap into that so much that, you know, you are in a zone in which mistakes could be made, or you might kind of cross over a boundary, or you might just go too far with someone. And whilst that moment is thrilling and I love getting there. It's always the moment where I realise how much I need to be in control of myself because I think it's would be very easy to let myself go in those moments. And it might be that the sub wants, you know, that it, it could be an incredibly beautiful thing to, to for that to happen. But there's also the moment where you have to pull yourself back in and say, like, I need to kind of, yeah, reel this one in a little bit because it might be a bridge too far. And that's, yeah, that's an exciting place to get to. I do like getting there. I just have to remember to kind of <laughs> keep myself contained. But you have to tap into the dom side of you to dom yourself. Yes, that is exactly what you have to do. Exactly. And, you know, that's not always an easy thing to do. And, I, you know, you hear horror stories and, and other, you know, people having experiences in which clearly the dom did not dom themselves. And it's it's easy. Yeah, it can be easy to fall into that trap. So you always have to keep one eye on yourself from the outside, I think. Um, Because, you know, it's easy. The sub is caught up in a moment and you're caught up in a moment. And, you know, you need someone to step in and say now, now. (laughs) We will step in and take a break right here. And when we return on 
What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. We will continue with Audrey Fatale and talk about Australia and lands beyond when we come back. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed. And it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the Practical Contract Guide, Relationship short Shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? <laughs> or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious a BDSM activity book for beginners, written by Princess Natasha Strange, and that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program, joined by Audrey Fatal from Melbourne, Australia. Australia as a kink place, is it open and welcoming, or is it one of those places where you're like, uh-oh, I got to keep it hidden? Uh, well, I sort of live in probably the most cosmopolitan of cities in Australia, being Melbourne. Um People from Sydney might argue differently, but um, <laughs> it's it's small. It does feel small, I think, from from the kink perspective. There's been a lot of changes over the last few years, and I, I don't think this would be limited to Australia. Uh, clearly, uh, the internet has played a big part in kind of, uh, you know, making kink more mainstream, and I'm sure that you've experienced the same thing over there. 
it's also easy to get caught up in the fact that you exist in certain bubbles and that means that you think that everything is uh, accepted and open and you can tell anyone what you do and it's going to be fine. The reality is obviously not that, but I do find that it's generally a fairly open and accepting kind of place to be in terms of expressing your kinkiness. We also have, um, you know, from, again, going back to being in the professional context, we um, recently in in Victoria, which is the state I live in, had uh, sex work decriminalised, which is a fantastic advancement. Um, New South Wales has been decriminalised since 1996 or something. So, yeah, there's a long way to go. But overall, I can quite happily exist as a fairly outwardly you know face out kind of professional kingster that's beautiful but I have to say one of the things I do lament I think that different places in the world have different sort of kinks if that makes sense um yeah different sort of they lean towards different styles of of play for some reason or another and I think that my interests are a little bit more European my -hmm. kinky kind of proclivities and so I do lament the fact that, you know, it's perhaps not a, you know, as big in the scene here in Australia, the sort of things that I, you know, would like to be involved in. Might part of that be the heavy rubber scene? Yeah, yes, absolutely. That's probably the main <laughs> the main thing. <laughs> I think maybe it's partly climate. Um, we do have mild winters here, but nothing like Europe, and we get hot for quite a few months of the year. And also, it's access, <clears throat> which I mentioned earlier on. I think that it's not we don't we don't have the things you know uh, to hand if we decide we want to if we're interested in rubber. It's this whole convoluted process to try and access some, uh, you know, not to mention the expense of it. But it's yeah. So I am most drawn to that kind of not not just European things like I mean we look at serious bondage websites which is a US based website as well there you know that's I visit that often and you know sort of lust after (laughs) the sort of scenes that are playing out over there but yeah I think a a pro dom um, whom I admire an Australian pro dom once said I think I made a comment on the internet about I was thinking about getting a certain piece of equipment but I wasn't sure if the client base were going to be interested in that type of play. I think it was a Max Sita um, um, sleep sack, canvas sleep sack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, oh, should I get it? I don't know if people are really going to like that. And she said, don't buy what you think people are going to like. You get the things that you like mm-hmm. and the clients will find you. And that was an aha moment and has proven to be absolutely true. So the more I kind of pursue the bondage, the rubber, and sort of acquire the things, the gear, the more I find uh, the people are kind of popping out and being like, yes, I'm into this too. I'm into this too. Whereas five, six years ago in my career, I would have thought, I I don't know that these people exist in Australia, but they do. Tell me your favorite heavy rubber toy. Look, I am very much into hoods. I like, I think sometimes when I try and distill what my kinks are, I often go back to objectification. 
And I'd say dehumanization, dehumanize, yeah, dehumanizing, but that does sort of have some sort of negative connotations and I don't mean it as that, but taking away someone's humanity mm-hmm. and objectifying them as an object, as a, as a, a meat suit, um, there's something in that that resonates for me. And so hoods are a natural way to kind of facilitate that. And it just happens that, I mean, I love my leather too, don't get me wrong, but as, yeah, it just sort of developed down the path of rubber a little bit more. It's just, yeah, I don't know if I can say exactly what it is about it, but um, it's something to do with that objectification. And I think probably trying to sort of tap into imagery that I've seen that sort of European, you know, old school kind of European kink. It's that, it's the thrill of that. It's like putting the head, like when you kind of make your first rubber gimp, it's that moment of looking at it going, you know, when I was young, I would have seen this. And it was so like um, thrilling and dark and twisted and all of these kind of things you think you think it is. You know, it's like the classic scene from, um, what's that John Travolta film, Uma Thurman, you know the the oh, classic pulp fiction. Oh, pulp fiction, yeah. That the, the the scene with the gimp in the the basement with the hood on. You know, as a young person seeing that, I'm like, that's so fucked up, but also really appealing. You know, it's that moment. So when you know, I started to see that in my dungeon, create my rubber. You know, my rubber gimp with the hood on. It's kind of tapping into something that spoke to me many years ago, and it's like, oh my god, I just love it. Just talking about this, I am already in my mind going, what would it be like to totally have my humanity taken away from me? And what would that do to my mind? Would Mm. I get totally lost inside the suit? Would I get totally lost and feel like there's a certain other being that's coming out? I said I romanticize mm. about this stuff a lot because <laughs> you, I think about different. I'm not so much about the the problem solution and tunnel vision. I'm about where are all the different ways I could take this journey. Where mm. are all these different ways I could be led to? Because so many people, when you know, we talked about the the sexual part about it, for many. Uh, male types i don't know maybe female types as well you get the this is where i am this is where i want to go and they're heading straight towards that orgasmville Mm-mm. but that other journey is so much more beautiful mm. the one with the connection the one where there's even the denial of that yes and when Absolutely. you don't have to worry about that oh my god that's when magic mm. happens absolutely I think it's also helpful to be able to kind of think about what your what what are the different experiences you might have before you go into it as well. So you've got a little bit to work with. Because if people just kind of don't think about how they might react in the moment and sort of don't give it any thought and then they find themselves in the moment, it's not always it's not always going to be positive. It it might trigger something that's less than pleasant for you. And that's happened, you know, that happens. You think you're going to like something and and you don't, you're in the moment. If you're in the full rubber and the hood goes on or whatever, and suddenly you start to panic, 
that's um that is one outcome and it's not necessarily that that pleasant but um we don't really want that to happen but it's 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 on the table it's a possibility so usually I you know try and run through a couple of scenarios with people before we get started it's like you know, yes, we've, we've talked about we're going to do this, um, but you need to be prepared for the fact that it may not pan out the way that you want to and you need to be able to communicate that freely in the space because I think a lot of people, younger people, um, less experienced submissives don't think that they have the right to have a voice in the session or they don't want to disappoint or they're trying to impress or, or any of these kind of things. We have to be very flexible as tops to kind of work with whatever. It might not be what we want to have happen, but it's happening now. So we need to be able to, to manage that person's experience. And I think that happens a lot with, um, with things like the bondage when you start to, you know, really restrict someone's ability to, to move and to, get out of whatever's happening. I mean, I think about it now, I'm starting to feel a bit of anxiety <laughs> because that's 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 the moment for me um, where things can get hairy. I'll so. let you smile to know what my, my safe word is when I'm totally encased and all that. It's a European ambulance siren. <laughs> because that's <laughs> unmistakable. <laughs> And yes, it's it distinct is. and it's not a noise I'm going to make normally. No, it's, yeah, that's not your fun noise. Yeah, it's communication right there. Yeah, absolutely. I thought absolutely. that might make you laugh. Speaking <laughs> of speaking of ambulance noises that do that, you are about to next month head over to the place where that rubber is all so much fun. You're going to mm -hmm. get to go to Europe. Tell me about that. Yes, it's very excited. I'm very excited. It's been almost four years since I was uh, I successfully left the country. So yeah, basically most of it's going to be a holiday in Italy, which I'm very excited about. So that will be decidedly non-kinky, I expect. But I am doing a little quick trip across the water to London. And I um, specifically was going to do some advanced training with Madam Lee Ying in London. She's a very well-known and highly respected mistress who specializes, I guess, in uh, medical kind of play, medical CBT needles, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, like I said, it's a fairly small community in Australia and you can't always necessarily tap into the sort of skill base that you might want to. So I'm going to take the opportunity to do some training with her. And then I wasn't actually thinking about it, but she said, how about we do some doubles? Are you up for that? And I thought, oh gosh, am I um, out of my comfort zone? But hell, why not? Hmm. Let's meet some, let's meet some British kinksters. Yeah. And then I, I might even put a day aside and do some one-on-one -on -one sessions because I've had some people express interest in that. It's a little bit anxiety inducing. Like I said, I'm out out of my comfort zone it's not my dungeon I don't have my gear so I'm kind of just you know trying to wrap my head around how that will play out but I'm very excited about it it will be a beautiful adventure for you to be sure it will and I hope that maybe it will be one that happens annually as well so my partner's Italian so 
going back to Italy on a regular basis is on the cards. So I thought, well, why not start to kind of do little, you know, explore things a little bit here and there. I have absolutely enjoyed every minute of speaking with you and also uh, trading emails with you and getting to know more about you. You are a fascinating human to me. You, as I said earlier, uh, epitomize what what class, poise, and power are all about. Uh, so as as you do get older, don't change a thing because you're <laughs> you're absolutely amazing. And um, yes, I, I'm I'm blushing when I say that, but it's just when you meet people that get it when you see people that you admire in a still image and then you get to talk to them like I have it's such an honor for me and I really appreciate you taking the time with me and and uh, making special arrangements for you to be up at at uh, nine in the morning while I'm here getting ready to go to bed in a few hours. So it's a, it's a lot different. No, that's that's fine. I, I really appreciate the conversation also. It's been lovely. I was instantly enamored with Audrey Fatale when I first saw a picture of her on Twitter. She had this amazing style about her and I really wanted to know the person behind the picture. I'm so glad she chose to join us today. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. She wants you to release your perversions and go with the person you dream to be instead of the person you are. She's Holland of Chicago, next time on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you to Audrey Fatale for joining us from Australia. And we invite you to visit our merch store. Yes, we partnered with Kinkster Merch on Etsy to to bring you a set of empowering t-shirts, mugs, and even notebooks that will help you be your authentic self. And there's some fun things in there too. I hope you will visit us, Kinkster Merch at Etsy and visit the What Women Want collection. And you'll find that Mistress Kai, the proprietress of this wonderful store has a lot of great designs just for you and those who love you. I'm John. I want to thank you for being with us. I'm John, also known as Hi There Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW podcast and now select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky this has been a presentation of dating kinky built by kinksters for kinksters poly queer trans folk and anyone not quite vanilla and it's free